<laughs> well, that was an experience. Okay. <laughs> well, this is weird. <laughs> it's, it's Sunday morning. Noche, our jazz club right now, is empty. You're at home in your pajamas, watching a video of your pastor preach to you. This is weird. It's, it's kind of like uh, when I used to be a, a high school English teacher, people always ask me, hey, hey bro, was it, was it awesome like when you had substitute teachers? And I was always like, no, like having a substitute teacher was always way more work because what you had to do is the hard stuff as a teacher. You still had to prepare the lessons. You, you still had to grade the papers, but you didn't get to do the fun stuff. You just handed off the fun stuff, actually engaging with the students and teaching the students, you just gave that to another teacher who, who just gets to teach and then, and then roll out. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm back there again right now. Still prep the sermon, still got to do the hard stuff, still got to answer the emails as a pastor, but I don't get to preach to you guys in here personally. And so that just like, it just bums me out, guys. Like it, a Sunday is always incomplete if, if I don't get to hear you guys say amen and don't get to preach to you and see your facial expressions and don't get to administer communion to you and high five your kids and, and give them knuckles and give them a secret handshake. All that stuff is like so instrumental to a Sunday morning with God's people. So I, I miss you guys. Um, but let me give us a quick note about the coronavirus. Obviously, this is, this is a rapidly changing event moment by moment, so don't worry. We'll, we'll continue to update you guys through Facebook and through email. Those are going to be our two methods of updating you guys. Everything's going to happen moment by moment, but just know that um, we're prepared and we anticipate that our church is going to grow stronger as a result of this, and we anticipate that the gospel is going to spread farther as a result of this. Um, so quick note about the life of Frontier Church. Um, when it comes to community groups and fighter groups, don't look to the pastors, don't look to your email for an announcement about that. Look to the individual leaders, your individual fighter group leaders and community group leaders. They've got the wisdom to make those decisions and they're gonna function autonomously in this season. So let's do Holy Spirit, guys. This is, this is week one of the Holy Spirit sermon series. I knew that it would have an impact on our attendance. I just didn't know it was going to be like this, right? And so we're doing seven weeks, the person, the work, and the character of the Holy Spirit. You're at home right now, but go ahead and get those Bibles open to John 16. We're going to study this, this fascinating conversation between Jesus and the disciples in John 16, verses 5 through 15. I'm going to pray, and the Spirit's going to work this morning. Heavenly Father, you are well aware that there are people out there who are paranoid and panicking. You know that people are anxious right now. You know that when your people walk into a, a Walmart or a Target and they see the toilet paper aisle completely empty or the hand sanitizing shelf completely empty, it just feels weird. And there's this deep-seated worry that can, that can set in about the coronavirus and all the unknown that comes along with it. So you see us, Father. 
you see us and you still love us. In a lot of ways, Lord, I feel like we are on that boat with the disciples while Jesus is sleeping. He's still sovereign. He's still king, even though there's a storm outside. Even though the wind blows and even though the waves are crescendoing and the lightning and the thunder is happening and our friends on Facebook are saying this or that, even though all of that is happening, Jesus is still a calm, non-anxious presence in our life. And you can do that in our lives. You can make us into a calm, non-anxious presence in the midst of this storm. So remind us of the kingship of Jesus. Lord, remind us of his sovereignty. Remind us that he still loves us in the midst of this. And as we think about the Holy Spirit and dream about the Holy Spirit this morning and read our Bible, Lord, would you breathe life into us so that the Holy Spirit works and yearns and celebrates and convicts and does everything that the Holy Spirit does. So in all these things, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So if you know me well, <laughs> you know that I love pre-workout. <laughs> and I know not all of you know what pre-workout is. If you don't know what pre-workout is, it's, it's because you, leave a, you, you lead a more blessed and more healthy lifestyle than I do. So let me, let me fill you in and tell you what pre-workout is. So pre-workout is a formula. Basically, all it is is it's a powder. It's a powder with, a, with a, like a, a ton of caffeine and a bunch of B vitamins in it. What you do is it's in a jar and you take a scoop of it and you put it in the water and you mix it up and then you drink it and you get the results that you want, right? It's, it's like basically an energy drink like in a scoop. And people take it uh, usually to, to go to the gym and get buff and get ripped and just melt some faces off at the gym. But I take it when I'm sermon prepping. And that's important to the story. Because a lot of times what I do is because pre-workout can sometimes be expensive is I always go to the discount aisle in the GNC. So one time, I, a few months ago, I went to the, the, the GNC and I went to the discount aisle and there was one pre-workout in the middle of the clearance section. And I just grabbed it without looking at the label. That's important to the story. I grabbed the pre-workout, didn't look at the label, checked out, and later that day I was getting ready to sermon prep. So before I went to the library and before I opened up my Bible, I took a scoop of that pre-workout, I mixed it in, and I, and I drank it to get psyched to read my Bible. And I was like 15, 20 minutes in a sermon prepping, and I was like, dang, man, I feel the spirit at work right now. I was exegeting the text like a champ. Man, I was, I was typing at 1,000 miles an hour, and I kid you not, I was in the middle of the library studying the scriptures, and I was like literally sweating. Like, how's that for a visual of your pastor? In the public library, typing at a thousand miles an hour, bobble open, like literally sweating. And I was getting hot. And I was like, dude, the Holy Spirit is like literally making me sweat right now. Like, this is a spiritual experience. <laughs> and then I read the label of the pre-workout. And it said, <laughs> it said, thermogenic designed to make you sweat. <laughs> so I thought I was having a spiritual experience. Like I thought the Holy Spirit was meeting me in a really unique way. And it actually just turned out to be a formula. Church, the Holy Spirit is not a pre-workout formula, okay? You cannot scoop the Holy Spirit out of a jar 
and just kind of mix them into your life and just get the results that you want to get. In a lot of ways, you see some Christians doing this in their lives, though. You see churches do this, right? You, they purposely, you, you, you lower the lights down and you get the fog machine out and try to create and fabricate this experience where, boom, Holy Spirit, spiritual experience, right? Or maybe you just crank the music up really loud on a Sunday morning and the worship leader, he hits that, he hits that sweet chord change and boom, Holy Spirit experience. But like, in a lot of ways, that's just formula, right? That's just pre-workout formula. Those are just ingredients that you're mixing together and it's not a legitimate experience of the Spirit, it's just a fabrication. And so some Christians say, they see stuff like that happening and they see an abuse and a misuse of the Holy Spirit and they do something that's equally bad. They distance themselves so far from the Holy Spirit that to them, the Holy Spirit just becomes an idea or a subject or something that they study. So whatever side of the fence you're on, if you have a tendency to misuse and abuse the Holy Spirit or if you have a tendency to just be like, fine, I'm just, I'm just a Jesus guy. I'm not about the Holy Spirit. Whatever side of the fence you're on, we obviously, guys, we need help. We need help. And that's what the sermon series is designed to do. So over the next seven weeks, we'll read various literature from different sections of the scripture, from different authors, in order to develop a really, really good theology of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I know that it can be really, really hard for some people in our local church to think about the Holy Spirit and to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I understand a lot of us have had experiences where Christians or supposed Christians around us have actually justified a lot of bad things and a lot of evil things with the phrase, well, the Holy Spirit is just leading me to fill in the blank with something totally unbiblical. And that makes me so angry because the Holy Spirit is such a beautiful, life-giving person. And when evil and selfish things are justified with his name, it makes me want to throw up. So we need a good, biblical theology of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask for one thing in the next 40 minutes. No matter where you're at on the Holy Spirit spectrum, you're afraid of him, or you be, wherever you're at on the Holy Spirit spectrum, I just want to make one ask on you. If for the next 40 minutes you remain closed off, if there's, a, if there's a wall in your heart that won't crumble, I guarantee you that you'll exit out of this sermon and you'll, you'll be the same person as you are right now. No change, no transformation, no growth, and you don't want that. So for the next 40 minutes, Man, take a deep breath, let your hair down, peel your shoulders from your ears a little bit, and just open your heart to the possibility of learning deeply and sensing the Holy Spirit in your life. So while your minds and hearts are open, let's just start with like a mind-bending question. Who has a more personal relationship with Jesus? The disciples before the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago? or you right now in this moment? Who has a deeper and more personal relationship with Jesus? Seems like a no-brainer, right? The, the disciples, right before Jesus was crucified, I mean, they walked with him, right? Of course it's the disciples, it's not me. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus Christ was incarnated in the flesh here. Surely it's the disciples who had a closer relationship with Jesus. 
And you would, you would think that because here's a perspective check. They spent three years walking around and doing life with Jesus. So they, they, they knew with the tone of Jesus' voice, they knew what that sounded like personally. A perspective check, okay? If you were one of the disciples before Jesus' crucifixion, like you literally knew what the body odor of Jesus smelled like at the end of a really, really long day where Jesus healed a lot of people and did a lot of work. You, you would know that. If you were one of the disciples, then you would, you would probably know the sound that Jesus' stomach would make, like around new time when Jesus was getting hungry. You were familiar with that, right? They, they knew, the disciples, how the corners of Jesus' eyes would crinkle when, when Jesus got a funny thought in his head and was excited to share that funny joke with people. And so, of course, the disciples had a deeper relationship with Jesus, right? I mean, you don't even know whether or not Jesus had short hair or long hair. Some of you guys think that Jesus was white. He was a first century Jewish man. So surely it's the disciples who know more and have a deeper friendship with Jesus, right? Wrong. So let's let the Bible do the talking this morning. Let's look at John 16, verses 5 through 15. Jesus, after foretelling about the persecution that the disciples are going to experience, he says, but now... I'm going, I'm peacing out. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And I still have a lot of stuff to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Now, this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. It has, a, it has a very, very, very specific context here, okay? In the, in the previous paragraph that we didn't read before this, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, life is gonna get really hard for you and you're gonna get persecuted because you're following me, which is bad enough. And as if that weren't bad enough, Jesus then goes on to say in this conversation, this paragraph, that he's going to leave them. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus' death and ascension. Now, how do you think the disciples feel about that? It's obvious, right? You don't have to be an emotional genius to know. You don't have to be a therapist to know this. Our text says it. Their hearts are filled with sorrow. And of course they are. I'd be ticked. I really would be, man. I'd be like, what? You, we, we've been doing this friendship thing together for three years now. I dropped my fishing nets to follow you, Jesus, and you're just gonna bail on me? And we have every reason to believe that the friendship that the disciples had with Jesus was a, was a deep and personal and 
dynamic and vibrant friendship, you guys. I mean, Jesus's friendship with the disciples, it it is the most well-documented friendship in the ancient world. It's the most well-documented friendship in the entire world all the way up until the modern world. And so we have every reason to believe that the disciples had seen Jesus heal sick people. They had seen Jesus cast demons out. They had seen they had seen that twinkle in Jesus's eyes form when he looked at a person who was stuck in sin and Jesus began to get giddy about offering them forgiveness. They'd seen Jesus in all of these ways, all these contexts. They knew what Jesus's eyes looked like, how, how his brows would furrow when he was in the presence of a self-righteous jerk who was wounding hurt and helpless people. I mean, think about this. People's teeth in the ancient world, people's teeth were not great. So the disciples literally would have known like which teeth were missing in Jesus's mouth. They would have known how Jesus's breath stunk at the end of the day because they didn't have any, any toothpaste back then, right? What I'm saying is I'm saying all these things so that you would recognize how deeply personal their relationship with Jesus was. They probably had some inside jokes with one another. I can't prove that in the text, but if they didn't have some inside jokes with one another, they definitely had like a, at least a secret handshake with Jesus, right? Some knuckles or a high five or something. And so you see this incredibly vibrant and deep relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to leave you. It's going to bail on us, man. And then Jesus says something absolutely insane. He says, I'm going to one up this friendship that I've got with you. It's going to get better. That's not, that's not exactly the way that he says it. The way that he says it is in verse 7. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now pause. How could Jesus leaving them ever be to their advantage? Well, the answer is in your text. Look at the way that verse seven finishes. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, might wanna circle that, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So why is it better that Jesus goes away from the disciples? Because this person or this thing or this idea called the helper is going to come to them. Now, what's the, who's the helper? What's the helper? Well, whoever the helper is, Jesus describes the helper as a him, not an it. Him, not it. And so this helper is it's not an impersonal idea. It's not an impersonal force. The disciples wouldn't be thinking about the force from a Star Wars or something like that. The, the disciples would be thinking about a literal person, him, not it. And apparently this helper is gonna interact with the disciples in a way that's deeply personal, even in a way that requires social skills and interpersonal communication skills. I mean, just, just listen to the way that Jesus describes what this helper is gonna do and what his relationship with the disciples is gonna be, is gonna be like. This is verses eight through 11. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, those, those things that Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit's gonna do, 
those things actually sound a whole lot like the things that Jesus did during his lifetime on earth. Think about that. When Jesus was on earth, he convicted people of their sin. Jesus showed the world what true righteousness looked like, not religious hypocrisy, but loving and caring for the sick and caring for the needy and having a deep relationship with God in your heart. On top of that, when Jesus was on earth, he judged the ruler of this world. He judged Satan. He casted out demons. And so that list of things that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's gonna do, it actually sounds like, it kind of sounds like the helper is just gonna come and he's just gonna keep doing the things that Jesus did when he was here. In a lot of ways, it just kind of seems like the helper's gonna pick up where Jesus leaves off at. And that's not a bad compromise if you're one of the disciples, right? That's not a bad compromise. Jesus, in essence, is saying to the disciples, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die and depart from you, but I'm gonna send you this person who's like me. He's like me. But you can kind of feel the disciples press against this, I think. At least I would push against this. You can imagine the disciples are saying, Jesus, we didn't leave our hometowns to follow somebody called the helper. We didn't, we didn't leave our jobs we didn't leave our friends. We didn't leave our communities behind so, just so that we could follow somebody who is like you. We don't want a junior varsity Jesus. We don't want the, the next best Jesus. We don't want a second place Jesus. That's not good enough. Somebody like you isn't good enough. Jesus, we want you. But the helper, guys, the helper is not a JV Jesus. So here, Jesus he keeps on teaching about the, the helper. And here's, here's why it's actually more for their advantage to have the Holy Spirit within them than just having Jesus beside them in the flesh. This is verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, you might wanna circle that. So now he's calling the helper the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. And he will glorify me. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Think about that. Now, pause. This conversation won't make sense to you if you forget about the original context that Jesus is speaking to them. It sounds, it sounds almost as if Jesus is saying, the helper is gonna have less authority than me. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? We can, we can drill down on this if we think a little bit more about the conversation that Jesus is currently engaged with with the disciples. Remember, this conversation didn't start with the disciples coming to Jesus like with their notebooks open, asking Jesus for a systematic theology on the Holy Spirit. That's not how it started. That's not who Jesus is working with. It started with Jesus saying something really, really, really sad and, and Jesus knowing that their hearts were breaking and that their hearts were becoming depressed at the thought of Jesus leaving. So Jesus knows that the disciples are bummed about losing their very, very personal relationship with Jesus. Now, when you get that, you can understand why there's a contradiction in our text. Did you notice that? I know that pastors aren't supposed to say that the Bible has a contradiction in the text, 
but there's what appears to be an error in your text. Just look at verse 12 closely. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It's pretty simple, right? You get it? Jesus has some things that he wants to say to us. But look at verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. But right there, it's the Holy Spirit who's talking. Well, that poses a huge question. You don't have to be particularly bright to to wonder who's doing the talking here. What? In verse 12, Jesus says that he's going to do the talking and that he has stuff that he wants to say to us. But in verse 13, he's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to speak and declare and say these things. That's a contradiction. Is it going to be Who's doing the talking here? Right? Contradiction. Let's just throw our Bibles out. It looks like Jesus is confused about the difference between him and the Holy Spirit. We found an error. No, that's not how the Bible works. That's not how ancient literature works. This is brilliant. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I have things that I want to say to you and the Holy Spirit is going to say these things to you. Guys, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, brothers, I know that you're worried about losing your personal relationship with me, but I need you to know this. The Holy Spirit and me share the same authority. Guys, you need to know that the Holy Spirit, he's saying the Holy Spirit loves me more than you love me, okay? The Holy Spirit is saying, or Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is the most Jesus-centered person in the universe. Peter, he's more Jesus-centered than you. Guys, he's more Jesus-centered than Cole. He's more Jesus-centered than your favorite preacher or your favorite pastor. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to glorify me. And this has huge practical ramifications, guys. Huge. This means that when the Holy Spirit moves in your life and speaks in your life, he's never going to tell you to do something out of line with the person of Jesus ever. If, if you sense that the Holy Spirit is telling you or leading you to do something that's out of sync with all of the teachings of Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's an unholy spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit says what Jesus wants to say to you. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, all the Father has is mine. And all that I have, I'm giving to the Holy Spirit. He's saying we all share the same authority. He's saying we're all uniquely different persons with our unique, vibrant personalities that are unique from one another, but we're all of the same essence. We're all of the same authority. He's saying we're all the same God. So who's doing the talking? Is Jesus going to speak to you or is the Holy Spirit going to speak to you? Guys, do you get it? The Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. He's he's affirming them. He's saying, don't fear that you're going to lose your personal relationship with me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and, and your friendship with me is not going to get more superficial. It's going to get deeper. 
Guys, when you experience the Holy Spirit, your relationship and friendship with Jesus doesn't get less personal than it would be if you had known Jesus in the flesh and seen the twinkle in his eyes. It gets more personal. So I know that you're at home right now. You're watching this sermon online, and here's the one thing that you need to know this morning. Guys, God, God wants to have a living, breathing, dynamic, vibrant relationship with you. Like, wow. I know you've done things this week and said things this week that if your closest friends knew, they would probably want to distance themselves from you. But God the Spirit remains and he wants a personal relationship with you. He, he wants to speak to you and he wants to be spoken to by you. <laughs> he wants to listen to you. And he wants to be listened to by you. He wants to walk with you. And he wants to lead you. And he wants to gaze at you. And he wants to be gazed upon by you. He wants to whisper to you, speak to you, clap, clap his hands at you and wake you up when you're not paying attention. He desires to do all these things with you. Any, anything less than a vibrant, real relationship that you would have with another person, anything less than that, God is not, he's not interested in entertaining as a relationship with you. He wants the relationship with you. The, di- the, the living one, the dynamic one. And to make that happen, God has given us the Holy Spirit. And, and church, there's nothing that you can do to earn the Holy Spirit, nothing. Can't do it. There's nothing, you, there's nothing you can do to earn a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this is what makes Christianity just mind-blowingly different than all of the other religions out there. Every, every religion out there is basically asking the same question and concerning itself with the same question. How can we have a personal relationship with the God of the universe? That's what everybody's asking in their inner conscience. Everybody's asking, how can I be made right with the God of this universe Every religion, every philosophy comes in with a different answer. Every religion says, in essence, to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, you've got to follow these rules, then boom, you'll have a relationship with God. What a stupid answer. Some other religions over here are saying, hey, if you want to have a personal relationship with God, then you've got to follow this rule or you've got to do this ritual. But we can't follow rules. We, We can't. You... Even the ones that we know are good for us. You know you should go to the gym and you get healthier. Why don't you do that? You're too weak, man. Too weak to follow rules. And so everybody out there is being sold a bill of lies by all these religions that they've got to be a good person to have a relationship with the God of the universe. And it's causing all of this anxiety. Just this crazy amount of anxiety out there where nobody can sit still in the presence of God. Nobody can sit still in the love of God because everybody feels like they're not right with God. Nobody feels like they can have a friendship with God. Deep down, everybody feels out of joint with the God of the universe. And, and Jesus is the one figure in history who walks into the middle of all this turmoil. He walks into the middle of all of this, this, this chaos and anxiety and people feeling far from God. And Jesus poses this fascinating question about being made with, right with God. Jesus walks in to all of this and poses a fascinating question. What if... Everything that you need to do to be made right with God 
was already done 2,000 years ago for you. <laughs> and what if that event that makes you right with God, what if that was the most publicly well-documented event in the, in, in the pre-modern world? And what if that event was the very, very public state-sponsored Roman crucifixion of an ordinary first-century Jewish man named Jesus of Nazareth. Guys, this is the gospel. By grace through faith, when you believe in that good news, you are made right with God, you have a friendship with God, and God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell you. And most of you hear me say this, and you just kind of nod your head, right? Yeah, that's Christianity, I get it. But is this your experience? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Like, do you just live moment by moment with this incredibly crystal clear awareness that the presence of the Holy Spirit is yearning and living and teaching within you? You just walk around all day with the spine tinglies, right, with goosebumps all day, every moment because you're totally aware of the Holy Spirit's presence within you? No. Well, why not? Well, that's a good question. So let me, let me pose a quick thought experiment to you. Imagine two women on the same park bench looking at the exact same sunset. You can picture this, right? right they're sharing a park bench, they're looking at a sunset, and woman number one is looking at the sunset and a film of gloss covers over her eyes. She starts to daze out because she's bored by the sunset. And so she looks down at her palm, she palm gazes, she gets her phone out, and she mindlessly scrolls on her Facebook feed or her Instagram feed because person number one, she finds the sunset boring. But imagine woman number two. Woman number two, she's not bored by the sunset. As she looks at the sunset that's over the crest of the hill in the distance, she's fascinated by the way that the sun appears to be melting into the horizon and about how the, the deep orange colors are casting off a slightly yellow color and these, these colors just ripple out into the horizon and into the distance. 1,000 different shades of the same color, this, this beautiful orange and yellow and almost this fiery red that all culminate together to, to make this sunset that she's looking at and she has this awareness in her heart of the beauty of God that there must be a God and he must want to do beautiful things in our life because I mean look at this sunset and shows she's sitting on this park bench and this this tear of joy is just rolling down her right cheek whoa that's person number two let me ask you a few questions here's a few questions about the sunset here's one which woman Woman number one or woman number two is the sun providing more beauty for? Do you know? Well, let me phrase it. Let me phrase it a different way for you. Let me ask it a second way. Which woman, woman number one or woman number two, is the sunset providing more warmth for? Or another way to say it, um, which woman is the sun flexing for and really showing off for? And all three of those questions are bad questions. They're bad questions, aren't they? Because they're both experiencing the same sunset. They both have the same access to the same sunset. They both have the same access to the same beauty, the same warmth of the sunset. So it's not a matter of the sun providing more warmth for woman A or woman B. It's a difference of what? 
It's a difference of mindful awareness of this reality. So li- listen to me say it this way. There's nothing that you can do to earn the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Nothing. But there are things that you can do by the Spirit's power, and there are things that you should do to cultivate a deeper and more mindful awareness of the Holy Spirit so that you're woman number two in awe of the beautiful Spirit's work in your life rather than woman number one who's bored and palm-gazing and scrolling through her phone. So everything I'm about to say to you to cultivate this mindful awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, these three things are gonna sound totally underwhelming to you in theory, but give yourself to them over these next seven weeks Because even though they sound underwhelming in theory, I think that you'll find that they are incredibly rewarding in practice. So let me start here. First, if you want to cultivate a mindful presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, make time during your day to read the scriptures out loud. There's a good reason for this. Your brain has a terrible habit of reading the scriptures in your mind with a a robotic and monotone voice, doesn't it? When you read the scriptures, there's a voice in your head that almost reads it like this. And this voice in your head can make the scriptures just feel impersonal to you. But when you read the scriptures out loud, when you hear the words of God come through your vocal cords, like wrapped and clothed in a real human being's voice, you're just reminded to you that the scriptures are God's way not of giving you a scientific document. The scriptures are God's way of speaking to you with a high level of personal warmth and love. Reading the scriptures out loud, even though it might feel weird at first, it's actually a great reminder that before the scriptures were ever ink on a page, the scriptures were breath in God's mouth. And he speaks to you as one who wants to have a personal relationship with you. (laughs) Cool. Second, Develop deep friendships with human beings. I think a lot of us struggle to engage with the Holy Spirit personally because we have no framework or experience with healthy personal relationships with other human beings. Maybe you have a lot of relationships, but you, you suck at listening in them. You constantly space out when your friends talk with you. You doze out. You interrupt your friends. You, you kind of just wait to interject your own opinion on them so you're not actually hearing what they're saying. And the thing about human beings is, is that they're endlessly fascinating and they're just interesting, man. Human beings are, are crazy creatures. They have, each one has a different tone of voice. Each human being, when they talk, use, they gesticulate in different ways with hand gestures up here or maybe they put their hands in their pockets. It's fascinating. Right? Uh, every human being, uh, their eye color is this mixture of like hundreds of different shades of the same color. Their voice sometimes cracks, you know, when somebody starts to get excited and talk about something that they're really passionate about. And what I'm saying is that human beings are fascinating. And if you can't experience deep relationships with human beings, and if you can't listen to human beings whose facial expressions you can see and whose tone of voice you can hear then how are you ever going to be able to relate and listen to the Holy Spirit who is invisible and often speaks in whispers? So personal relationships in your life, take them seriously. They're they're a way of training to experience personal relationship with God. So third, let me say this. This is by far the most challenging out of the three. Third, expose your true self to the Holy Spirit not your false self. And this is one of the most challenging journeys that I think you'll ever go on in your entire life. As you grow closer and closer to the Holy Spirit, 
I would encourage you to begin to learn the difference between who you actually are and who you think you should be in the presence of God. There's a difference. Learn the difference between what you think you should say to God and what you actually want to say to God. Learn the difference between what you really think about God and what you think a good Christian should think about God. Huge difference. And and the difference is this. When you only say what you think you should say to God or when you only behave around God the way that you think a good Christian should behave around God, then you end up actually never exposing yourself to the Holy Spirit. You're over here what you end up doing is exposing this version of yourself to the Holy Spirit's love. You end up exposing a mask of yourself to the Holy Spirit. Now, here's why this is important. If you only expose your false self to the Holy Spirit, that does not mean, listen, listen, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit won't continue to love you. He will. But if you only expose your false self to the Holy Spirit, you'll convince yourself that who God actually loves is some better version of you. If you only expose a mask of yourself to the Holy Spirit, you'll convince yourself that what God really loves is not you and all of your sin and all of your mess, but what God actually loves is the mask of you. And that's, that's a lie. It's a lie, it's not true. God loves you. Jesus, let me say it this way, just to be frank, Jesus did not, he did not die on the cross and ascend to the heavens so that he could send the Holy Spirit to have a relationship with a mask of you. He didn't die so we could have a personal relationship with some false version of you or to have a relationship with who you think you should be. He died to have a relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. And guys, let me just say this, like this is a, this is an ongoing struggle of mine and I think it's going to be an ongoing struggle of mine throughout my entire life. I struggle with this. I struggle with wanting to hold up a mask of myself to God and and not my real self. Guys, there's times when I'm like deeply discouraged and irritated and mad and struggling And, and I want in my soul, I want to just go before the Lord and pour myself out before him like a hot mess. I want to do that. And so I sit down and I prepare myself for prayer and I'm ready to just vent with honesty. But right before I begin to engage with God, there's this little voice in my head that says, you better be well behaved. You better be good. So what happens is rather than pouring my heart out to God and saying, God, I'm struggling. Would you meet me in this? Rather than pouring my heart out to God, what I end up doing is like straightening my back and saying, oh, holy and most sovereign God, most omniscient and omnipotent of all heavenly and celestial beings in the universe. And it's just a lie. I mean, if you feel that way, pray that way before God. But sometimes I just, I just front with him. I just put up that mask with him thinking that that's what God wants to see. And I just feel sometimes the Holy Spirit saying, stop that. Where are you at, Cole? Where are you at, man? I don't, I don't care about them. I don't care about who you think you should be. I want Cole, man. And I struggle with being Cole around God. Not just with God, with people, man. And, and I struggle thinking that what people really want is the most competent, 
uh, version of Cole in the universe, not who I really am. And sometimes when I think about this, I struggle that you do this also, church. And I, I fear that I, I fear that my son, because he has the same gene pool as me, is going to grow up and he's going to fall prey to the same lie that the only way somebody could ever love him and the only way that God could ever love him and the only way to have a relationship with somebody is to always impress them. Always impress them. Always show them your best self. Never show weakness. Never look incompetent. Never show any sort of struggle. And that just, it just makes me sad. It makes me sad because that's, that's not a way to have a relationship with another person. That's, that's, a bare, that's, that's a way to never have a relationship with another person. I struggle that you'll feel this way with God. And I struggle that my kids will feel this way before the Lord. So I wrote them a poem, because you know my style. And I know that this was written for kids, but I, I think that this poem can actually help your relationship with the Spirit. So let me read this over to you while you're watching this at home. There lays your spirit, son, battered by your mistakes, into a thousand little pieces, these sorry little flakes, pottery through which the spirit's joy once poured, but now there your soul lays, shattered on the floor. But before it broke, do you remember what it was? how it prayed, what it hoped, or even what it does. It dreamt it could respond to God with Christ's very own laughter. But 1,000 disappointing individual failures after, life dealt its cards and sin left its scars. Now your spirit frowns back at you, sitting there in shards. What about the world? In the world snickers at the shameful shambles of your life. The enemy points at your nakedness and he relishes the strife. And people even once dear to you wince and turn away. The shards too sharp, the mess too much, they all run in disarray. But while all around your broken spirit, your company decreases, Jesus remains on hands and knees, picking up the pieces. The fracture in you won't disappear, but son, now you don't fear it. Because the crack that shamed you has become the doorway for his spirit. <laughs> so let me end this way, church. You have a personal relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You have that relationship right now. If you're unaware of it, if you don't feel it, if you don't sense the Spirit's movement in your life, it's because you lack awareness of it. It's not because the Holy Spirit isn't there. He's there. He's working. And this relationship with Jesus that the Holy Spirit has given you, is, it is more intimate than knowing which teeth Jesus was missing while he walked around in Jerusalem. It is more intimate the knowing what Jesus' body odor smelled like after a long day of teaching people. It's more intimate than that. Your relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit is deeper than just having your own inside jokes with Jesus or even having your own handshake with Jesus. Wow. Because the Holy Spirit 
has brought Jesus to you in your heart right now. He's glorifying Jesus to you in this moment right now. The Holy Spirit is the reason why in this exact moment, your neurons are not forming neural pathways in your brain in the direction of sinful thoughts because the Holy Spirit is leading them into truth. He's guiding them. There in your mind is the Holy Spirit shepherding each one of your individual neurons individually towards thinking about Jesus. He's showing you, look how beautiful Jesus is. He's, he's showing you, look at how glorious Jesus is. Right now in this moment, whether you feel it or not, the Spirit is whispering in your soul, hey, I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the work of your word preached would not be hindered by the coronavirus. Work powerfully and mightily, like just to work mightily through internet and through a video online and, and push your word into the hearts and lives of people so that we experience the Holy Spirit and real gospel transformation this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.